0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick
1: Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral relevant across disciplines and remain timeless if you're enjoying our content please drop us a positive review on apple podcasts or wherever you subscribe and if you want to get in touch with us tweet or dm at nerd journey ultimately we're just two nerds on a journey a journey to career enlightenment so let's take a trip all right nick
0: episode number 246 this is a. Uh part two of our discussion with uh, Dr. Srisha Kuchumanchi. If you haven't listened to part one, I would highly encourage you to do so. That's episode number 245. Just a brief overview, Dr. uh pursued physics in her initial uh, studies in college. We had a interesting discussion about support for women in science, technology, engineering, and math, the uh, so-called STEM areas especially motivating and supporting young women. Loved that discussion. Talked about communicating with your manager and even with your skip level manager as one of those skills that you need to, to develop. Talked about her living through a layoff and uh, some discussions about personal finance. Just a, a really cool discussion that unfortunately I wasn't part of, but it was really cool to listen to and listen to the discussion that you two had. What are we looking forward to with uh,
1: part two, Nick? Well, this week, consider the following. Have you ever been asked a question about taking your career in a specific direction that gave you pause? This happened to Serisha when someone asked her why she wasn't pursuing management roles. You'll have to listen to see what happens. We talk about what managers actually do compared to what team leads do. Sharisha gives us some advice on ways we can evaluate future career opportunities. We also hear about ways to learn from your managers on what good looks like as a manager. And then how do you, as a manager or people leader, create a culture of excellence? Let's get right to it. Part two of our discussion with Dr. Sharisha Kuchimachi. Tell us a little bit about the transition from I'm an individual contributor working for a manager who appreciates me and that I like to, you know, I I think I'd like to start progressing up to being a manager myself. Because a lot of people that I've spoken with are teetering back and forth on, should I go to management? Should I stay individual contributor? It's a hard, hard decision tree.
2: Yeah. So for me, it's interesting. I have if I look back moved sort of every three years in a job if I feel like I'm spending a lot of time reading news at work then I know I don't have enough to do that's kind of my gauge if I have time to browse at work then I'm getting kind of bored so I was getting ready to move to my next job and I met this friend of mine you know for coffee we just happened to run into each other and I hadn't seen him in a maybe a few months or a few years and then he asked me this question, why do you keep moving laterally? Why would you not try for a management job? So it's the same thing that you asked the question. I was teaching, I was like, I can't do management. I don't have people experience. I don't know if I can lead people. And to me, every manager I saw had these brilliant ideas. And I'm like, I don't have any ideas. I don't know what I would even say. And when he asked me that question, I was like, no, no. And then I went back and thought about it some. At that point, I kind of was getting some, you know, sort of supervising experience, not a lot. I mean, the person I was supervising was so phenomenally good, I don't think really needed anything. It was just kind of like an maybe an honorary title in a way. But it gave me some insight, you know, I was getting feedback on how they perceived me. And being a manager is a hard job. For those of you who are not necessarily think a manager does a lot or is not happy with your manager, there are good ones, bad ones, average ones, all of them all around the spectrum. But realize that their job is also incredibly hard because they're getting feedback. They're trying to gauge what people want. They're, they're communicating up, communicating down, filtering it, you know, making sure that they keep everything on the go. And a lot of the time, depending on which part of the management chain you are, you're doing a lot of heavy lifting also. Though it may not look like much from the outside. So when he said that, after thinking about it for a while, I actually went in my next one-on-one and told my boss that, that I wanted his job because I knew he was going up. There was no way he was going to stick in that job for a long time. So that's that's why I felt comfortable telling him I wanted his job, actually. Oh,
1: OK. So it wasn't a, hey, you're incompetent. I should take your job, right?
2: No, 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 no. He was very good. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I saw how spectacular it was. And I was like, can I do that job? But I was like, I would like to do. I didn't say exactly his job, but I would like to do his kind of job because I knew what different management jobs I, I had moved in different organizations. So I kind of knew what the spectrum of roles were. And I was like, I want to do kind of your role. I don't remember if it was that day or maybe later on the next meeting, he said, okay, these are the things you will have to do to even get prepared for this. I needed, you know, sort of serious leadership experience, like leading teams, you know, sort of disparate teams, right? Where nobody works for you and you have to influence without authority. You know, those are all skills you have to learn, even if you're a manager, because just because people report to you doesn't mean they're going to do what you want them to do. You have to be able to still do that and get traction. So it was about learning certain skills and getting certain experience. So." You know, that's why he had to use his social capital, right? He had to get me these roles that as a support organization that I sat in, we were you know, requesting the main organization to give me roles that were part of their intrinsic ecosystem. So he was getting me into those roles and he had to kind of vouch for me. And those roles are very critical. I remember I had to lead this team and we had this initiative going because something had changed significantly in some compliance. And we were you know, trying to navigate the system and the experts were telling us to do it a certain way. And me being new and trying to understand was going to do it the way the experts did. And I remember having a meeting with the team of my peers and then suddenly stopping and saying, what if we don't do what they are telling us? What if we do it in a certain way and just push back and say, these are the reasons. On paper, it makes complete sense, but you cannot run manufacturing like that. Not that I'm saying we are not meeting compliance. We are actually meeting compliance better and the customers will like our process better than just sort of paper penciling this exercise that we're being asked to do because we cannot run like that. Once I had that conversation, I had to go back and, you know, talk to my boss. I mean, I would keep him in the loop, but I was working with my peers, working with, with the experts and stuff. And, you know, I had to pull like my skip level manager into one of these negotiation meetings. And I think he got to see a different side of me because probably from my prior experiences, he had a certain impression. And this becomes critical later on. So while I was having these conversations with my manager, there was another role in a peer organization that came out where they were internally hiring. And I decided to throw my name in the hat. And I told my boss, hey, I'm going to apply for this role. And I think he first asked me, why would you, you know, and then I think he must have thought about it the next day. And he came back and said, okay, you do not have exact experience, but I mean, I could do the job because I knew enough. And he said, highlight these skills you have. And I knew those groups. So I actually sent out an email to kind of the manager you know, the peer role that I was applying to saying, hey, show me your last few presentations. Can I review them? So I prepped for this thing. And I'd been following the ecosystem. I knew because I worked on those products and I prepped for it and they had this panel and I did my interview. And the hiring manager came back and told me, do you have a few minutes? I want to give you feedback. So I sit in this glass enclosed room and she gives me feedback. She told me a couple of things which actually had a huge impact because first I think, when they were trying to hire for the role, and this is true of a lot of roles, right? People already often know who they want to hire for the job, even though the job may be put out there or not, because they know what skills they're looking for sometimes. So if people are waiting to find a job opening on a job site, I would say 40% or 50% of the jobs actually ever show up there because a lot of jobs are hired outside. So that's why you need to be talking to people and networking, not about saying I want a job, but talking about your skills. And maybe if you want something, ask for it also, so that they think of you when that thing comes along. And so she, I think she was having a hard time deciding between me and, and and the other person. And she kind of told me that she was talking to her boss, which was like already three levels above me at this point and saying, you know, I, I can't make a decision between her and this other candidate I'd have. And he's like, you know, you decide it's who you want. And anyway, she chose the other person, but she chose to give me feedback. As I look back, I feel like these are pivot points. Now she's raised sort of my name to this boss, right? And I'm leading teams. So when she comes back and gives me feedback, she said, this is what people talk about you. And I had no idea. You know, you show up a certain way at work, and then the perception is different from how you think you're perceived. So it helped me think about certain things of how I was showing up at work and what I needed to change about it. So when my boss eventually did get promoted, when they were interviewing for it, all of this intersected because the skip level manager who she talked to, you know, was pivotal and kind of the decision making or at least providing insight about my role. Uh, the skip level manager I'd invited to this SME meeting, that expert meeting that I had, was my hiring manager at that point. Like he was going to hire, if, if I got the job, he was going to hire me. So he'd kind of seen me in these roles, you know, my boss was already out. So I was presenting for him. So all these things become very important where you show up and how you show up in these meetings. You will not think about it, but I was presenting and backing up for him, Right, he was on vacation. But I think what I was showing was exactly what they were looking for. He'd seen me like kind of working through in some ways, I won't call it a conflict situation. It wasn't exactly a conflict, but sort of a tough navigation situation on seeing how are we going to meet these? Because when there are strong experts and opinions, how do you navigate a space and still reach a consensus? Because I remember later on when that came up, he used that example and said, we should do it like they did it in that session, like use that method because it worked because we continuously had conversations and brought and that's anyway my style is to collaborate and try and figure out it's not about getting consensus which is usually the way but also understanding why we are doing something when my team would present or something they obviously do a good job but if if I thought they needed to do something differently I would let them know it's imperative as as a feedback and sometimes even as a peer to let people know immediately in a in a nice uh, way what they did really well and maybe it's something to change Because if we don't hear it, we do not know what to do. And you'll be completely blind.
1: So true about the feedback. Feedback is definitely a gift. You know, it could be a gift of here are the things you need to improve or the gift of, oh, you're doing this really well. And you might not have even thought of that thing that you're doing really well that other people actually see. Just clarify something for me, Sarisha. When you say you are leading a team, does that mean you were leading a team to accomplish a specific project task or, or was it acting in that team lead type role? Because we've, we've heard about the team lead or tech lead type role as something you can take on without really moving into the full-on manager role. So I just want to make sure we clarify that for listeners.
2: Maybe you're talking about the IT sector, which has tech leads and this thing. In the sectors I work in, there is no tech lead and this team lead. If, if you're not a manager and you're leading a team, you're the team leader. You're leading it, you're managing it, you're managing the people, the project goals, reporting out on it. That's what it, all that falls on you. So you're speaking up about it. You're essentially holding the bag and you have to carry it through to the finish line.
1: Okay. And the difference between that and being the manager is just the manager is going to do the hiring and firing and...
2: Oh, no, no, no. So, so this is just one project, right? The manager has people responsibility. They have huge KPIs they're managing. So if I had a team of, say, five people, they each have a role and responsibility. As a manager, I'm managing to make sure that they are meeting their roles and responsibility and providing support when they need it. I'm making sure I'm filtering what is important for it, um, driving the strategy, driving the execution for it the managers are managing all these. Like, So in my team, what I would do is at the end of close to the end of the year, I would just send an email to my team and say, give me all the project ideas you have, no matter which group and which organization in the company it affects. We don't have to have any say in it. Just throw your ideas and just send it only to me because I don't want them to talk to each other. And then all I do is I curate all those ideas and bucket them into buckets. And I just take it to a staff meeting. And I say, now let's see what we want to work on. And so everybody has inputs then. And oftentimes, you know, we might keep a project or I obviously as a manager, I do have a say on, yes, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense because you have often insight into what is happening or what, you know, where the charter is going. The managers have a lot of other responsibilities because they are driving projects at a different level, not just at the team level. Right. So that helps drive a lot of good team dynamics, too, because inside teams also there's a lot of silos. Right. People don't interact. So this way, people would say, oh, let me work with you on that. Or they might have a different skill or I might ask them. If it's someone I would think that, you know, might have a hard time, I would have a private conversation with them beforehand. I very rarely will put a person on a spot. I mean, if I felt like I built a rapport, then yes, I will. But not if I did not. I'm very cautious about not throwing someone under the bus when I'm trying to do this. So then people want to engage or if I think an external team wants to interact, I'll be like, okay, you guys think about it. I'm going to talk to this team and I'll get you in touch and you carry on. Because I've had technicians do some like really high level projects, because I think we should never underestimate the people in your team. Think about it, the people in your team did not come only with this job experience. They have sometimes 5, 10, 20 years of something else they've done before. So why would you not leverage it? So they wanted to do it. I've completely let them run it. They just tell me what they're doing. I'll have ideas, suggestions. And people want to come to work because they enjoy it. And, you know, they have some sense of freedom and some sense of accomplishment. So the more you can empower your team, the better for you. In some ways, the way I look at it is I want to walk myself out of a job and talk myself out of it. You don't need me to do the job. Because if you are the only, hint, you're the linchpin for a job. Also you'll not get promoted because if they take you out like if everything is going to collapse why would they move you from there? They're going to keep you where you are.
1: I like the fact that you're you're going into what good looks like in the in the manager role and I definitely appreciate that. It sounds like you saw a little bit of what good looks like from your managers that you had and then you were able to figure out some of that as you were acting in the team lead role and then also demonstrating that to skip levels and people, you know, in different organizations, even as you said, people don't often see some of the things that we might demonstrate in a particular meeting if they don't work with us all the time. I think that's excellent.
2: Quite clearly understand that your skip manager is likely to call your manager and have a conversation about you before you show up in their office. They will find out from your manager, why are you meeting with them? What do you want? How are you performing? That will often happen. I mean, there can be so many reasons you can go to a skip level. I'm not saying there's a right way or a wrong way. Remember, there's an HR system. There's different support networks. I mean, we have all different managers. But, you know, I've actually had some friends who've had like really trying managers. And it, it is a hard time to go. But they've also learned some things. When Actually, one of my first podcast interviews, my friend who was guest hosting with me, we talk about this. Sometimes you'll have these managers who push you. You'll go with this phenomenal thing or this product or this report and say, okay, I've done it. And then they challenge you and they push you. And I've had some of those, right? But then you realize that maybe they see something in you when you look back, you know, they're challenging you because they think you can do more. And, you know, some managers can be intimidating, you know, just how they show up. At least in my case, I've ended up working with some of them really well, because if I were to look back in a lot of ways. I've had to stand my ground for when I thought it was important. I don't think I realized at that point that that's what I was doing. Like when they would say something or this thing, that was a reason I made a decision or I did something the way I did. Or when they ask, you know, will you come back and say this to me again the next time? I'll be like, yes, I would, because I still think it's the right thing to do. Everybody has a boss in this chain. Even the CEO has a boss, the board. So there is nobody who doesn't report to somebody. <laughs> so everybody has to justify why they're making a decision they are. And why it is in the right interest, just like you were asking about the finance thing. So if you can explain why you're doing it or what is in the best interest of the organization, the company, the revenue, and if more and more, if you can tie it to the performance is the priorities, revenue even better, then there's a lot of reasons to do it. And some of them are just, you know, might be gut decisions on hiring and things that also play into it, but do your due diligence and then you'll build rapper with your managers and as much as possible, you may not be friends with all of them, but you never know who you'll interact with. I I talked to a gentleman recently who was many levels up, who I didn't interface with twenty years ago. And I ended up telling him I used to work in his organization. He didn't know who I was then, but you know, twenty years later we are connecting with just that saying, Hey, I used to work here. I wanted to talk to you about this. So you don't know who you'll intersect where and when.
1: That's fantastic you were talking about taking the project ideas to a staff meeting that your team gave you. What I heard when you said that, and that's what I was trying to think of earlier was you own not only the spending budget for the team, but the time budget in a lot of ways too as the manager. So you're trying to help decide what should the team focus and work on. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about finance and budgeting when you're in management. You have to budget the people, the time, where to put the resources, and then, of course, any extra money that you might be in charge of spending within the organization.
2: I mean, think about meetings. Meetings are a are a cost initiative in itself. If you have all these high-paying jobs sitting there for hours, you better have a good agenda and what you want out of it. Some of them are ideation meetings. I know that everything is not going to come up with a solution, but you better be corralling the troops constantly to get what you want out of it. Otherwise. You are just spending a lot of people's time to do I don't know what. So be clear on what you want. Preferably send an agenda out. I mean, my staff meeting had agendas. I would sometimes have rotating schedules on, you know, we would have people talk about where they came from and what they did because during COVID, it was very hard to engage. So we would talk about either the foods we liked or where we place we came from or the vacation we took or the culture we had, games. And on a rotating schedule, we would look like at metrics. And oftentimes what I would do with my team is, you know, very often managers, you know, different levels have different access to different presentations you're giving or something. And if it was something you could share, I would bring back those to the meeting and talk to my team about what was the organization talking about? Where did we play a role in it? You know, because you're asking your team always for reports and stuff. Right. And I think this is where that fine line comes. Right. I think this is kind of what you're asking. What does a manager do? Oftentimes, you're asking your team to give you this information and this, and they see you carrying this information off into this hole, and then they have no idea what the heck happened with it. Bring as much of that back, especially like the big meetings, and come back and tell your team what you did with it, what happened it, what feedback you heard, what are people saying about it. Because then that gives them an idea of what it is that they're talking about. So if they were to run into a peer of yours they can say hey, I heard this in this meeting and you know then they're able to tie it to the priority so it, it it elevates them as well to say you know i know what you guys are talking about in a way so it is as imperative as you to share that information with your team and i think it helps to build a lot of trust and sort of this collaboration among the team right then they see and say because i remember when i did it the first time and maybe after first or second time i had this very senior engineer who came and stopped by my office and said you know, in all the times I've been there, I've never had anyone tell me what it is from these meetings that we do. And it's good that you're getting to share with us what's going on. And it was eye-opening to me because it's like, yes, because we need to be doing that. You know, if my boss is taking my report, I'm curious to know what he did with it. Sure. Like, where did it go? Because oftentimes, I know as someone who's preparing it, you're thinking, why can't I get to present it? Maybe even ask your manager sometimes saying, hey, can I present that in the meeting? You never know. They may say yes. Yes.
1: That's a great point.
2: Because that's what you want, right? You want visibility. So when I had these meetings that I had to present to the leadership team, to my, you know, my peer group, oftentimes it's I who would present. But after the first few meetings, you know, I'd gotten to know the group and my peers, I would make my team present. I stopped presenting. I would do maybe a little bit, but because that was the opportunity for them to get visibility in front of the leadership team. Otherwise, where are they going to ever see them in that circumstance, right? You get to talk about what you are doing. People get to know your face. And in these days, people hardly get to see the other person, right? You're usually through email contact. So think of ways to, while you're elevating yourself as a manager, as an individual contributor, don't forget to elevate the people in your organizations or your peers or somebody who's working with you or somebody in a completely different organization. People will talk, people will, you know, continue to build that. So then you can lean into that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also helps your people see that the work they're doing isn't for nothing. It wasn't busy work that you asked them to do. Mm -hmm. It does exactly what you said before, which is telling them why are they doing it, how it connects to the company goals, but it also gives them purpose. Oh, this is for a reason. It's not meaningless. It's not for some report that nobody looks at. This is why it's happening. That additional context is so helpful that... We don't often realize what the impact of leaving that out could be.
2: Yes, absolutely. Because there are going to be a lot of closed door meetings that you will not have access to no matter which level you are, right? But as much as you can get in or provide feedback of what happened, if you can share that, if it's not confidential, and maybe find a different forum to report out on this or talk about it. Because in the end, you're either trying to hit a revenue target, a customer target, or a product target. I mean, they're like only four or five buckets that you're all in the end, no matter what job you do, you're trying to hit. So where does this hit the bottom line in that? You know, are you doing better customer service? Are you, your product is getting better? You're mitigating risk? Like, which part of that portfolio do you fall into? And think about that.
1: Absolutely. So we talked about frontline management, and we talked a little bit about skip level. So- at what point, Sharisha, did you decide that you wanted to pursue the next level up of managing managers?
2: In some ways, as I was getting different roles, you know, you also get tapped on the shoulder for roles too. And it kind of happened partly like that. I was doing a role. I hadn't been very long. And then when the person who was doing the other role got promoted, I was just meeting, happened to have a one-on-one with my boss and I was just chatting with him. And he's like, who would be a good person for the role? So I was like, I, this is what I think that role would be. And he's like, do you want to drive for it? I'm like, um, you know, I'm as, as I talk about stuff and say we should all advocate, I have to tell you, we all learn through this process. A lot of the things that I talk about in my podcast and other things are basically from experiences I have seen or seen with others or just conversations. So this is the advice, right? I realized then that you do not know what, I think you said this earlier on the thing. You do not know what you're doing well or what you're capable of. Other people will see you differently. Also what you're not capable of. Let's be clear. Sure. It's all not not roses. So I think that's where when they said that, I had to think about it hard because I had to talk to my peers because that role was incredibly challenging. You know, you you hear things about roles, right? And you're wondering if it's the right job for you. And I talked to a lot of managers who I'd had as past bosses or people I knew to get ideas and interview for these roles. So this is what I would tell people. If someone taps you on the shoulder for a role, this is this is my like, blanket statement. I would almost always say yes. On hindsight, I would almost always say yes for two reasons. One is they thought of you and they thought that you could do the job. You may not have thought you could have done the job, but they have thought of it. They've used your social capital. If they put your name in the hat, they're usually going to have your back. They're not going to leave you out there and let you figure it out. You may fail at the role or maybe you even get demoted, worst case, but you learn something, you build a network and you get access to a set of circumstances which you may not have and people may disagree with this only reason you should say no is there's a concrete reason you do not want the job like personal reasons whatever maybe the time is not right for you but be very sure why you're saying no don't say no if all the reason when you distill it down thinks you're not ready you don't think you can do it those should never be the reasons because somebody came and asked you and that's what i tell people so it, because you have to be incredibly careful when you say no and and trust me i have said no though I've said saying this, I've not always followed this because at that point I thought that was not the right role for me. And if that is the reason, okay. But be sure that you do it for the right reasons and you may burn bridges. People will stop asking you after some time. So that is the caution. You can say no. I'm not saying you should take the role, though I said that that is the first statement. You should always say yes. But I've also said no. And with the understanding that I might get stopped getting asked after some time. Because if I was on the same side as them, you know, as a manager comes to me or I ask somebody, I'll ask you it one time, two time, maybe three times. And after that, I'll be like done. And I've told people that when I've, you know, vouched for them and gotten them and they were like not sure, and you know, maybe convinced them once, twice. But I've also kind of said, hey, this is sign kind of the second time. Maybe one more time, and that pretty much I'll be done with this. Because if you keep saying you want to do this, and then you back out every time we come and give you this. And, it's, and, I, and I've played the same thing, though I'm playing devil's advocate. I know I've done that same thing probably. And I know that in some cases I didn't articulate what I wanted properly and I could not articulate it. So don't not take a job because you think you're not capable of it. That is all I would say. It will be hard. It will be painful. There'll be a lot of learning curve. If you think even there is a drive to do it, do it. Because I remember a colleague of mine and me talking once about, hey, where do we want to go next in our career? And, you know, all companies have these groups, right, that are doing well, some we are not too sure, we think it won't last. And we were talking about some group and I was like, you know, if I got a certain role in that group, I would still take it because if I got a level up, I would have access to a different level of conversations that was happening at the executive level that I would not have where I'm sitting. Because each stage you are in, you get to hear different conversations. What are the key caravats about the group? What are your peers talking about? Engage with different people, different projects. You know, I only got more finance exposure when I when I went up to a certain stage in my career because otherwise I didn't work with them so much. So you're privy to certain things. You're building a strong network. So I never see anything as a bad bet in in some ways. I mean, like I said, I've declined certain roles because also the other thing is, if you're going to accept a role, I, I just want to put this as a disclaimer. Think about what that role will get you. If it's not a project, see a lot of things I'm talking about saying, yes, are project based. But if it's a role, think about where that role is going to get you to next. Like where does that potential pathways lead? Where are the pluses and where are the minuses going to be? And if it's overwhelmingly positive, then think about doing that role. If not, maybe there's a good reason for declining it but be sure why you're declining it. Because I have looked at them and I've not seen a pathway moving forward. And it wasn't necessarily executive roles. It was like even like beginning manager roles. Because in my mind, yes, I would get the manager title or I would get this, but to me, it was a dead end street. It didn't lead anywhere else forward because those roles didn't have the right access or the avenues to engage in certain roles. So kind of think about it. I tend to use a SWOT Early on, I think when I returned to work after a year or two, I I was managing sort of cost budget for a group and I had to do a SWOT and I was like, what is this? And for those of people who may not know what a SWOT is, it's S-W-O-T and it's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And I realized I totally love the tool. I don't use it all the time. Every few years, I'll pull it out. But when I wanted to make a career pivot and I had spent a year talking to like various groups, I wrote down what experience I wanted, what opportunities I was looking for and what that ecosystem looked like. And what it helped me do was, when I wanted to take a certain role, and I was so fixated on it, when another opportunity came, I pulled up my SWOT and realized that the, actually the second opportunity gave me more flex and leveraged my experience, while the first one that I was gunning for would not really use my expertise. I would have to really totally learn from scratch. So I tend to kind of think about it and what is it that I want out of it. And it's not about a three-year plan or a five-year plan or a title event. I'm usually looking to see what skills do I want to learn or what do I want to know. And then it kind of transforms that way.
1: I like that. And I like the giving the nod to something that someone thought of you for or at least really considering that hard. And it, it falls in line with with what you said. They believe in the fact that you could do something even if you don't. So you have that support that a lot of people never get, which we talked about at the beginning of our conversation. So maybe that is enough to get you over the self-doubt hurdle automatically.
2: Yes. And we are going to have, right? Um, jobs are going to be hard. They're going to be highs. They're going to be lows. And I heard this... Um, he was the CEO, Nirav. He's the co-founder, CEO of Nextdoor. He's like, you want to curl up under your desk and, in fetal position and hide, you know, when you hit the low as an entrepreneur. It's, it's, it's no different. There are going to be days where you feel this huge pit in your stomach. As an individual contributor, as a manager too, especially when certain things are going on, as much as I might brush stroke it and make it look positive, there'll be so many people things. That is the hardest people. That is the reason people don't want to be managers more than anything, right? It's the people challenges that they dread. And I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy by any means. I was so incredibly lucky in my first role to hit upon this HR partner who helped me navigate a lot of this and to learn and how to do it, how to construct conversations. And it's not that we always agreed on how it needed to be done, but it was a healthy debate on how to address certain things. And not to drag things on forever, right? Being able to provide that insight early on to your team because the more you drag it no one knows what's going on but you need to find those mentors those peers those partners and it's not that you're always seeking it out you you'll know when you hit on that right person it could be someone you worked with or your colleague or you know my colleagues have told me sometimes have you negotiated for this you should be negotiating for this like this and you know you're not necessarily giving me numbers but you know at some point maybe they were your boss and they knew what your thing looked like so You're not telling people to negotiate and things like that. You need those kind of a little bit of pushes. And managing people is a hard job because there are going to be so many different people, so many different personalities. People are not going to be happy. You cannot do everything that they want you. You cannot promise everything. But what you could probably do is try and listen, maybe make a difference. Sometimes tell them why you couldn't do it because on all cases, you cannot really tell them why you can't do it. And sometimes they might just be really badly executed relationships that you just have to live with and you'll question yourself maybe you'll find out maybe it wasn't just your judgment factor but you you never know but all the thing you can do is do the best and find some peers and i know it is hard in any role because you're in an office professional setting on how much you want to be open about things right i am not going to tell you that's going to be easy so you will have to find people or maybe pick a few people and share little little things in different circumstances
1: who taught you to list things like 25% of my team members got promoted on LinkedIn? Because I, I saw that metric there and it just made me happy.
2: When I was actually trying to do for a role and I was trying to pitch for something, I was talking, I think, to a HR or a communications partner. And, you know, one of the things, the metrics as you go up the leadership chain they're looking at is, one is, you know, your followership whether you can strategize, whether you can execute. You also want to see how much of your team you're bringing up. Because if you're not, you cannot just be very self-centered. It cannot be about you. And for me, like, you know, we have technical ladders. We have management ladders. And it's always exciting to see when someone gets promoted and becomes your peer, right? It's a different relationship. You'll have to navigate this new relationship for them and for you. But it's very good to do that. And I just look back and said, okay, how many people? Because I've had a lot of people... In all honesty, you know, sometimes 40% and 50% of my team turn around for whatever reasons. They had. They got promoted, you know, we had these rotation programs, so they would naturally move out. And some people just wanted to do different things. So I know you have to be cautious as a manager that if you're losing a lot of people, it can be a very bad thing. It's a reflection upon you. But if they're doing it for the right reasons and you can see where they're going, I think it really helps to, to, to be able to speak to it and why there's this sort of navigation process. I think when I was looking back as to like what happened to my team, where did they go? it was nice just to see like at one point in time you know twenty five percent of them between these technical and manager roles got promoted. Did they have anything to do with me? I have no idea, but they got promoted <laughs> at one point when they happened to be in my ecosystem, so that's kind of how I just look at it.
1: What about the the creating a culture of excellence? How does someone at a higher level leadership role create a great culture for their organization
2: a lot of is based on being as open as you can and i think building a lot of culture around trust so some of the examples i was telling you you know when my team i would take the actions back to the staff meeting and say let's decide the priorities for the year it gave everyone a skin in the game right they got to help to script it no matter which level of the organization they were You know, you can work in a sort of matrix or a multi-tiered organization. I know all managers cannot have multi-tiered conversations because just depending on the group size, but maybe once in a while, if possible, you can pull, depending on the number of people reporting to you, you can see how to do that. But in some ways, empowering people to make a lot of the decisions. That's kind of what I ended up doing. So as as I was doing these, my team would start to step into a lot of different things that I was making decisions for. Over time, I started to give them because I was also working on projects and I needed you know, some space to work on them. So they would step in. And I never took them back from them. I, I continued to do. And if they had questions, I would help. Such that actually, there was a summer not too far back from when I actually essentially eventually quit my job. I went to India for two months and sitting in a leadership team... In, in kind of a manufacturing environment, you you don't step out for two months and be completely unplugged from a role. And at that point, I remember someone asking me, a colleague asking me, does it mean you're going to be completely unplugged? And I was like, first I said, no, no, no. Then he asked me, so does it mean you're going to respond to messages? I'm like, no, just hold that thought for a minute. I'm actually going to be completely unplugged. I will ha- Because I was going to India. I said, I will have an international plan on my phone and I can respond to messages. But it'll have to be emergency messages that you will text me because I will not be checking my email. Usually when I step out, I am out. And, you know, my team did such an amazing job. They stepped in. I I checked with them before I even, you know, kind of went and did this thing saying, can you manage? I mean, they said yes. I don't know if they would have wanted to say no, if they would have had it. So let's be honest about that. It, It probably put a ton of pressure on them as well. But I was able to unplug, but we had in some ways, it wasn't a last minute scramble. Over time, they had been doing different things. One of the first things I did as a manager was I created this roles and responsibility chart because organizations can be siloed. And I wanted to know who was covering which because I just didn't know who was doing what role. So for, it was for my own sake. But I took it back to the staff meeting and I started to say, who is the second person responsible for this? Who is the third person responsible for this? And then some I would pick and some would have asked the team, who wants to do this? Or so someone would have the skill saying, okay, I can do it. And so we picked it as a combined thing. So two things came of it. When people were they, they could cover for each other. In, initially, they would come and ask me for time bank and stuff. And still, I have to approve it. But oftentimes, if they had time, I would tell them, just talk to your person who's going to cover for you. And if you think they're good, come and let me know. You know, it becomes very hard as a manager to manage all these moving pieces. So they would do these sort of backups. And my thing that I would tell my team is, because all of us, are very often in a culture where you're so plugged into the office. And I did it for a long time. Trust me, this was not, this unplugging took time. It wasn't an easy transition because for the longest time, I was plugged into work like that. But I tell my team, if you're out, I would prefer you not to show up at work and not to respond to any messages. The expectation is you are out at work. Your team should be covering for you. You will tell somebody who your counterpart is, or if you think your counterpart cannot manage or is already overwhelmed, you tell me what the job is what needs to be covered. And it's my responsibility to manage what that escalation is or whatever. It's not your job. I mean, there might be times, no denying, I might desperately need to call you. But the intention is not to call you. Because for a long time, you know, email management, we're all sitting online. its It started slowly. So over time, just for myself, I only check email certain times, not like a fixed time of the day. I would check it only intermittently. Like I would not check it all the time. Often managers are sitting in meetings all day long. They don't get to work on their stuff, right? So that's why they're working in the night. That's why you're seeing these messages from them. So sometimes I would tell my team, I might send you the message. Doesn't mean you have to respond unless it's urgent or I'm texting you. I just need to get it out of my mailbox. Of course, I got better at it because I would schedule it sometimes. So I tend to schedule a lot of my emails. When people are on vacation, if I know they're coming back on a Monday, I'm sending it the meeting at one o'clock or I'm sending the message at Tuesday at 10 because that way they are not ignoring their mailbox, but it shows up when they need to see it. So I started to do all these little, little things. And I would tell my team if there is something you want me to do, there's something urgent going on, you need to text me. If you're going to send me an email, you can be pretty sure I will not see it. I've, it's very unlikely because I get hundreds of messages. If it's so important, you need to text me. It's not like I don't look at my mailbox, I do. There's so many threads. Maybe in all of this time, I might have missed one email that might have been important, but someone will call you or text you. They're not going to forget if it's that urgent. But I still do read my email. It's just that I'm not a slave to my email because otherwise the email is going to manage my life. I don't need it to manage my life. I want to manage it. So that's what I would do. And I would tell them. And also the other thing is I give sort of power to my team to make decisions. Like say I had technicians who would manage things. I would tell them, if you think that doesn't look good, you have the wherewithal. Maybe you don't have the ability to finally execute on the decision, but send me the thing saying this is what I saw. Because I worked quality. You know, we had to make decisions about how we ship material, what comes across your board. What is it that you might think, yeah, that, you know, people are saying one thing, but I sort of disagree with that. If you're not sure, you have the full thing to say, okay, I think I need to hold that and send me a note. In some ways, I put the impetus on them. You own the power to make the decision, but you also own the responsibility of the decision. You are the gatekeeper for that. So I expect you to tell me when it's not being done right, but you're also the gatekeeper to catch the stuff because you cannot have one or the other, right? You have to have both in some ways, which actually is is good because that way you get to decide and you can work like, you know, if I had managers or things, they would work with their teams. And I would say, yeah, you know, you decide how your teams are working, what projects they're working. So They have their own things. So you have to kind of pull all these pieces together and create boundaries. Even if you're working for a group, you're an individual contributor or a manager, every company, and I, I heard the CEO say, I don't remember which CEO, every organization will take it, everything you can give it. So you have to decide how much you want to give. And there are expectations. And I do not mean to, by any means, oversimplify this. There are job expectations. The higher you go, the more expectation there is. And the hours will be crazy. Their pressure will be there. And it can be at all levels. But obviously, as you're climbing the ladder, there is more expectation. But in some ways, you also have to figure out how you're going to draw those boundary conditions around those expectations and what you're going to give, when you're going to give. Everything does not have to be at 10 p.m. I I, I remember I worked this crisis early on and, you know, we would have custom meeting every day. And I realized that I had this really young engineer and when he would say he would send the email at night, I realized it always meant 3 a.m. in the morning. Because that's when he worked. So actually at that point, you know, we were in such a crisis. There was no point putting more pressure. So I would wake up literally at 3 a.m. and see what he sent me and then work my process in the morning. In the beginning, I would like panic. And I'm like, you know, that's his style. He's just going to work it. There was no point me stressing him out when he was already going way beyond and doing some amazing stuff just to wait it out. And then slowly we figured out how to work together. You know, we got got along and I would joke and say, okay, I'm going to wake up at three and see what your message tells me because it's not coming at 11 p.m. and I'm expecting at 11.59. So I tend to talk to people a lot and sort of try and work as much as possible collaboratively. That's kind of been my way of doing things.
1: I like that approach. And I like the approach of giving someone the full ownership of the good and bad decisions or both sides of the coin I think that engages them more to to do the work because the power, I mean, there's only so much limit that you're putting on it. It makes you want to get in the boat because you built the boat.
2: Yes. And don't get this wrong. The manager still holds the card. If that thing doesn't go right and you made the decision to give them a card bad, the buck stops with you. So you better own it still. So you're still overseeing this. It's not like you gave it and you walked away. And there will be mistakes. And there have been things like that have not gone right. You know, at some point when I thought, oh, maybe they did, it, and then I had to realize that I it was as much on me that I hadn't trained you to do it right. So then that onus came back to me rather than me saying, Oh, you guys still enjoy it. I was like, Oh, we never did really set up the process for this. So let's figure out how we are gonna do this. Because in my mind it was all very incredibly intuitive. Like, why did you just not get it? But there is nothing intuitive about anything. You have to like walk through a process and figure out what it is. So I spent a lot of time, you know, driving productivity improvements just as much because just processes, it took away a lot of the mundane stuff that most of us don't want to work on. How can we optimize this? How can we have good data integrity? Because the minute you start questioning your data as an engineer, then you're back to square one. Every time if you pull a report, if it looks different because of who pulled it, what filter they put, then you're in a, like a big part of trouble. <laughs> you better be sure that the data is clean and good. You know, you might have someone set up all the data in the profile. But you have to have clear criteria that you're training. So as part of that role and responsibility chart that I did was as a team, everyone had to go creating training docs or if there were training docs already updated so that somebody could walk in new into the team and kind of read those training docs and get an idea of what the role was. Because the roles were so incredibly different. It, it, it cannot be comprehensive, but enough to say what is it that we need to do? Because there's so many moving parts otherwise
1: it's onboarding documentation it's uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that's often overlooked i love i love the process optimization so i want to put it all together as we sort of wind down here because i want you to tell the story of deciding to walk away from your job at ti i remember you telling me that at a podcast meetup
0: Man, oh man. Hate to stop the uh, conversation there, but uh, we need to break and uh, leave the last part of the conversation for the next episode. Nick, what were your takeaways? The things that really kind of
1: stuck out to you as we were listening back? People management is not always your idea. So many guests have been told that they should pursue it or you know, in some form or another. Think about Charlie Nichol, Yvette Edwards, and several others were told, yeah, you should definitely consider leadership. And you know what? Sharissa, no different, right? Someone had had a conversation and said, why aren't you pursuing management? And she had to go and, and really think about it. And the next thing you know, she says, hey, Mr. Boss Man, or hey, boss, I want to pursue this. It, it kind of makes me wonder if there's a correlation in the quality of manager you get from someone who has had a goal for it for a long time compared to someone who didn't even have it on their radar and then is told that they need to do it, and because of that, they decide to do it. I don't know.
0: That's an interesting question. We'll have to uh, maybe ask that to one of our guests at some point in time. Yeah. If they've you know observed a difference.
1: Not that there's anything wrong with having that desire or wanting to pursue it, but... Is it the person who doesn't want the power and gets told that they should be the one to, to do the thing because they're the best person to do it and then accepts that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. With great power comes great responsibility?
0: I would say probably automatically that people who want power you know, are probably not cut out for, for management. I, in my experience, there's not
1: really a whole lot of power in it. <laughs> sure there is. You have the power as a manager to advocate for your team's careers.
0: That's absolutely true. Right? That's that's something that came up, if I remember
1: correctly. It absolutely did. Sharisha demonstrated that we have to ask for what we want with our managers, which is a theme that we've heard before from various guests and even from from leaders. And because she asked for what she wanted, that first manager job or or some other opening There were different managers she had at the time that said, okay, here's what you need to do to prepare for that interview process, or here are the skills gaps that I see you need to fill before you go and and pursue a role like that. I I really hope that most managers are open to helping develop their people in that way, but I, I don't think that's the case across the board.
0: Yeah, I think that probably a foundational part of being a manager is doing skills development And career development for the people on the team. So, you know, if that's not something that a manager is doing, then then maybe they have a gap as a as a managerial skill. That's kind of what pops into my mind. I really liked this idea that she floated about, basically having an idea for a project and being empowered as a project lead as kind of a starting point for team leadership, which is you know one of those skills that you need for effective management being effective as a manager so if that is a gap then to kind of start looking for those types of opportunities to to do team leadership you know even if one isn't uh, a functional manager
1: really cool idea leading the team through this project and endeavor without being the direct boss of anybody on the team
0: exactly exactly
1: and in a way by doing that you're Empowering all the people you work with, just like Serisha spoke about empowering her team when she was a manager. One of my favorite things, John, that she pointed out was letting your people know you don't expect them to respond to emails or show up at work when they have taken time off. Empowering them to take time off, designating backups to cover for them when they're out of office. You need to be told it's okay to not work. I mean, I've I've had managers tell me this before. Yeah, absolutely. It, it may seem simple, but I really think that people need to hear that message.
0: Yeah, I, I had somebody tell me the same thing. You know, I, I had COVID and I was like, oh, I'm going to run the team meeting anyway. And somebody told me in a side channel, like, I mean, really? Like, maybe you should just go sleep and recover from COVID. And it was like, I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> you know, probably COVID brain saying that I should still run the meeting. I, I don't know. I think we've talked about this attitude that we can get on the way to, towards burnout of kind of like lighting ourselves on fire, you know, trying to be like the, you know, Superman, that syndrome. And really, that doesn't actually serve our careers or even our organizations any better. Like, it, all it does is it serves to burn us out. So, having a manager who's, who's looking for that, you know, for the team is super, super helpful.
1: I guess it's sort of like having kids in a way. You you have to help them understand that self-care is important. And sometimes you need that from your boss. You need them to model yeah, it and tell you. Because it's one thing for them to say you should. But if they model it, that's, I think, what makes the biggest difference. Here's our policy. And here's something I'm going to model.
0: I think that kind of gets back to the whole context of this discussion of, of team empowerment which is the context of culture of excellence, right? Having a high-performing, excellent team means that the individuals need to be empowered on the things that they're working on. As long as they're within the boundaries of what's acceptable to the company or to the culture, why do we care specifically how you're handling these things? Go and just do it and get it done you know, within these boundaries. Like You're empowered. And then it was a really interesting, you know, subtle point where she talked about setting up coverage and secondary coverage for specific tasks on the team, and then having it kind of as a written down plan so that everybody knows this is, you know, if this person's out, this is who you go to. And then as you pointed out, you know, taking time off, making sure that time off actually is time off. And then, you know, the black belt version for her was, oh, I need to time off. My responses to emails and things so they show up during working hours. Even if I'm not working during working hours, my responses to these emails shouldn't show up on the weekend or during the evenings because no matter how much I say, hey, I don't expect you to read this or respond to it after hours, it's just when I happen to be working. You know, it's as you point out, not modeling correct behavior and just. You know, having the goal of just a, a high performing team, you know, it was just really, really eye opening. Starting with that as the goal, what are the things that you need to do? Yeah, it just really made a ton of sense to me.
1: I think another thing that helped was when she talked about sharing where the information you provide your manager goes, what's been done with it, any feedback that they received when they presented it up a level or two. I always appreciate those kind of things like, oh, that's what they needed that for.
0: And then wh- why the ask came in in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Otherwise, it just feels like you're you're shouting into the wind.
1: <laughs> this is true. I enjoyed hearing Charissa's methodology on taking a different job. She talked about how for her, a new role or new opportunity is really about leveling up in some way. Gaining professional relationships and access to specific conversations she did not have access to before. I don't know that I've heard someone put it that way, but I really like that perspective.
0: Totally agree. It was, I keep on saying eye opening, even though I'm listening to it, right? But it, it opened a part of my brain um, to that as part of the goal of evaluating a new position. Does this actually help me get new relationships? Does it help me get specific conversations that I've wanted access to before? Is it in the path to do that? It, and if not, then maybe it's not the right move to make, you know, regardless of some of the other things. So, yeah, just really, really, I'll say brain expanding.
1: Yeah. And one way to, to get the thoughts going on in your brain out on paper is to use the SWOT analysis tool that Charissa mentioned. So if you need one to try and evaluate whether something is right for you, that's a pretty good one. I don't know that I've used that when evaluating a job to take or not take, but that's something that I'll remember for next time.
0: Absolutely. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, right? SWOT analysis, yet another tool in the toolbox that we probably should be carrying around and, and evaluating
1: every once in a while.
0: Is this appropriate for, for this situation that I'm facing?
1: Yes, indeed. With that, I think we have to break here, John. Yeah, let's let's get out of here. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Journey
0: farewell listeners tune in next time as the journey continues i'm john white at B journeyman Nick cordy at network nerd underscore signing off
1: adios